You're listening to the Fervent Church Podcast, a church in the Austin area who exists so that people may know Jesus. From wherever you're listening, we hope you're encouraged, challenged, and strengthened in your relationship with Jesus today. For more teachings, information, or to support our ministry, please visit fervent.church. We pray you're blessed by the message. Tonight we start a brand new series. It's titled Jesus Verified. Jesus Verified. And tonight we're going to start our very first verse-by-verse study here at the Fervent Church. And we've said that before, that we want to be rooted in Scripture. And what we mean by that is like we just want God's Word to be the authority of our life. We don't want to make like this whole thing about me and my thoughts or your thoughts. We want to come to God's Word, hear what He says, and then make our decisions based off that. And so we want to be rooted in Scripture. And what that's going to look like for us a lot of the time is going through chapters of the Bible, books of the Bible, verse by verse, chapter by chapter. And that's what we're going to actually be doing for maybe even close to a year, making our way through Mark. We're just going to, we're going to go through this Texas style, slow and low. You know what I'm talking about? Anyone barbecue? No? Come on, guys. All right. You can't let me like out barbecue knowledge, you guys. I'm from Tucson, and we, we don't know what that is. But anyways, that's what we're going to do. We're just going to take our time. We're going to take little bite-sized pieces. We're going to unpack it, try to get the richness out of it, and just see what happens. I think we'll be blessed, and you'll see that like if you've never been in this type of Bible study before, I think that you're going to see that, man, there is so much packed into God's Word that I didn't even realize. Like, I just thought John 3.16 was just a quick verse to memorize, and that was it. It's like, no, there's so much more, so much deeper than that. And so we're going to go through Mark, uh, starting in verse 1 of chapter 1 all the way to the end, chapter 16 there. Um, And so this teaching is, or this series is called Jesus Verified. Um, And in life, you've probably noticed, right, if you've I mean, you probably notice, but you don't notice that you notice, is that there's a lot of things that verify you. Um, Take your email, for example, and you guys all have email, right? It's like, what happens when you forget your password? You hit the little forgot password thing, and then a bunch of questions pop up to verify that you're actually the person that you say you are. So there's a bunch of things in life that just start to verify us, and we live in a day and age where where internet, social media, phones, electronics is really, is, is used for a majority of our interactions. But what that does is it sets us up with the, uh, the downfall is that we can be um, hacked. You know, there can be fraudulent um, things on, like instead of going to the bank, right? It's like, you guys remember back in the day, it's like you have to go deposit your check at the bank. Like nowadays, maybe some of you still do that, but nowadays you can take a picture on your phone and it's like, I don't even need to talk to a teller. Like, why do I need to go there? Right? It's like, because we have that. But the thing is, it's a dangerous thing because now we can have fraud, there can be things that are hacked, right, things of that nature. And so, anyways, verification is a very serious thing. Another example, and this is probably my favorite one, though, is um, Instagram. Anyone have Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, any of that stuff, like social media? So, anyways, on Instagram and Twitter, for sure, there are these things, these little blue check marks, and we don't have it up here on the screen, um, but it's going to be Jesus Verify, which is like Jesus with the little blue check mark. Um, and so there's this blue check mark, and it means that that person who you're following or that, that company that you're following, following is actually who they say they are, right? It's like, um, for example, there's, there's this verified accounts, and then like look up Justin Bieber on Instagram. Like there's, 
a thousand Justin Bieber accounts that pop up and it's like, well, which one's the real one, right? And then you click on one and you think maybe this is it and then it's like something weird and you're like, nah, that's not it, right? It's like someone who's an imposter faking, posing as Justin Bieber. The same is true with so many different people, right? There's musicians, there's um, pro athletes, just famous people in general, but one of them I've seen is pastors. And so there's some pastors I follow. They're like, they got a big following. They're known nationwide. And I've seen them post on their verified account, a picture of a fake account. They're saying, this is not me. Do not follow it. Do not give any money to it because people are posing as them saying, hey, uh, we need $500 to do this outreach with this thing. And would you just give to our ministry? And then these people, the real people, have to come in and correct what they said. Said, no, that's not me. Don't give any money to it. Um, my pastor back home, actually, there was a person who like pretended to be him. And so we come from a church that's about 8,000 people, and we had probably 40, 50 staff members. And so whoever it was, it's like they would send these emails to the staff. I was included in these things. And then it would say something like Reverend uh, Robert Furrow, which, I mean, for me, that's just number one. It's like, he doesn't ever go by reverend and even in his teachings he's like i hate it when people are like reverend furrow and stuff so like if you know him you know that that's not even his account so you see that and he's just swipe and delete it right it's like but then there's other accounts that come in as pastor robert furrow and then he would say stuff like hey um nick my phone's broken I can't call you right now. I'm out, out of town and I'm visiting some people and they need some help. And I just want to bless them with a little something. Could you go get some gift cards at the store and send me the code on the back? And that's what they said, you know, and then I'm like, and just me being like, just me, I'd email them back. I'm like, yeah, man, just cash app me $50 to, to my cash app. But they never did. They just stopped um, texting me or emailing me. But my pastor would come into the um, staff meeting and I'm like, hey, dude, like, Robert, you know that someone is impersonating you? And he's like, oh, yeah. And then one of my friends, uh, Johnny, he actually fell for it. He's like, wait, that wasn't you? Like, I thought, <laughs> anyway, sorry, you got to know this guy. And you're just like, you're like, you fell for it. For real, dude? Oh, my goodness. Anyways, so there's verification processes in that, that stuff to verify people are who they say they are. What they're posting is actually them. It's like when they post a picture, like, yes, they posted it and not someone pretending to be them. On Twitter, when someone posts something, it's more of like an information-based um, thing. And I mean, this is probably not the greatest example, but like if you want to know what Donald Trump thinks, like the guy is known for just letting it fly on Twitter, right? It's like, it's not the greatest thing. I wouldn't say it's a uh, positive trait of his, but it's like, it's a verified account and it's like, that was his words, right? And so if you want to know what people think, you look for the verified accounts. And so it's a big thing. And so you see these things, other things that verify you in life is just buying a house. If you ever bought a house, it's like you tell them, hey, I work here, I make this much money, and I have this much in my bank account for a down payment. And then the mortgage company or the lender, they, they call your job to make sure you work there, that you make the money that you said you make, and that, that uh, you, your bank, that you have the money you say that you have. Same goes for applying for a job. When you apply for a job, they check your resume, uh, maybe, depending on where you work, right? And then they call the references to verify that you're the real deal, that you have the character and the experience that they're looking for. Verification, is, and this is what I'm saying, is all around us. And we live in such a time where people need verification. People question everything. And for example, is, is coronavirus, like when it first happened, when it went down, um, me and my wife, we actually moved here 
March 11th, which was the day that they said that it's a pandemic, right? So like we, we drove from Tucson, Arizona, all is well. Like, yes, we've heard of coronavirus. Yes, is it serious? We don't know yet. Um, and we're driving across the country and we get here. And then my friend who came with us, he's like, hey, dude, you need to go to the grocery store. Because he stopped at the grocery store to get a Gatorade or something. And he's like, I'm like, yeah, we'll go, man, like tomorrow. And he's like, no, you need to go right now, Nick. I'm like, why? What's the big deal? He's like, because there is nothing in the grocery store. Nick like we drove across the country and everybody ravaged all the grocery stores in those 14 hours and so anyways it was like man this is a big deal so that's how it started out right coronavirus it's like man it's highly contagious don't go anywhere don't touch anybody don't look at anybody like just don't do anything and I'm not trying to say it's not bad but then over time, information has changed where it's like, well, it's not as contagious as we thought it was. The death toll might not be as high as we thought it was. And so anyways, the idea, the example here is just we live in this, this time right now like where people, you and I, we're awaiting verification. Like, what's the real scoop? Just tell us straight up. We want to know, right? And so tonight as we get into the account, um, Mark's account of the gospel of Jesus, we're going to start to see Jesus verified, Jesus verified many have come claiming to be the Messiah. Many have come claiming to be the Christ. They've been pretending to be Jesus, if you will, pretending to be God. They misrepresent God. They twist his words to try and make him sound um, evil or just ill intent, right? And they have fraudulent claims of God, the Son of God, Jesus. Many have come and done that. Fake accounts in Jesus' name. Many over the years have challenged the authenticity of the Bible, right? Is it true? Is Jesus real? Um, is God even real, right? And many still, they, they try and challenge these things to this day. Maybe some of you are even in that boat. Like, is it real? Is it true? Can we trust Jesus? And my answer simply to you tonight is yes, we can. And the reason I can say that with such confidence is I believe that God verifies his word within his word. And you say, well, that's that's not fair, Nick. That's circular reasoning, right? You can't defend the Bible with the Bible. And I think it was um, Charles Spurgeon who said, like, you don't defend the Bible. Defending the Bible is like trying to defend a lion. You don't defend a lion. You just let it out of its cage. It defends itself. And that's what God's Word does. Man, it's a span of, I don't know what it is, four or five thousand years that it was written over, um, I forget, um, four different continents with 40 different authors or so like and it's just an amazing book and it's telling one story and it's like how can someone from 700 years ago which we'll see tonight like prophesy of Jesus and what he's going to do 700 years later like that's just crazy talk it's because it's one story it's God speaking to to us he's verifying himself and now we're not going to cover everything tonight that would verify Jesus, that he is the Son of God, that he is the Messiah, that he came to save us, all that he said and did, because, I mean, truth be told, we're not going to even cover everything in our series in Mark, just because Mark is a fast-paced gospel. It's, it's a condensed um, cliff notes version. Anyone know what cliff notes are? It's just like, give me the cliff notes, just the bullet points, what I need to know. Just That's what I want. And that's what Mark is. He's like, I'm just going to get you what you need to know, get it to you quick so we can get you out and so you can start telling other people about Jesus. And so that's what we see. And so he'll give us the cliff note version, but if, just to, um, I don't know, I don't know everybody, but just to like 
paint the picture, if you will. It's like there's three other gospel accounts. There's Matthew, Luke, and John. So there's four total. It's like Mark gives us a super like sped up, um, condensed version. But Matthew and Luke, they give us a more broad version. Luke is very detailed. He's very like for the detail oriented when you're like, well, how do I know if Jesus actually comes from the line of Abraham or the line of Judah or the line of David? It's like Luke lists out his lineage, like all the way from Jesus all the way back to Adam. Like, how crazy is that? Like, if you're into, like, family trees, that dude, like, he listed it out. Uh, Matthew, he writes his gospel to the Jews where he's like, you guys are awaiting a Messiah. I'm here to tell you he's come. Um, and John, he just simply writes to just the world, like, for all, that they would all believe that Jesus is, um, is who he says he is. And so each account gives us more details of who Jesus is. It's like um, seeing a car wreck. When you see a car wreck, there might be many witnesses. One person says, well, this is what happened. Then the guy across the street says, no, actually they ran the red light and that's what happened, right? And as you get more witnesses, you get a fuller picture of the story. It doesn't mean that one person's account is wrong. Um, And so when you read through the gospels and you think you find contradicting things, it's like, no, you just have different points of view. He was just standing across the street when he saw it, right? It's like they were standing closer when they saw it, those types of things. Um, But from Mark's, we're going to get a strong account and understanding of who Jesus is. And I'm excited about that. Uh, Before we get into the content tonight, I just want to tell you guys a little bit about the author. It helps to know about who you're reading, right? It's like if you pick up a book and maybe, I don't know what some of your favorite books are, but we can say The Purpose Driven Life is by John Piper. Um, There's uh, The Emotionally Healthy Leader. Um, I forget who that one's by, but it's on my desk, but... When you know who the author is, it helps you to believe what they say. If someone like recommends a book to you, like, oh man, you just got to read this book. And especially for me, when someone will like kind of, hey, you need to read this book. And it's like a spiritual book, you know, and I feel like they're trying to like lead me to believe something else that I don't believe. And I'm like, who's this author? And I'll look into it and it's like, well, they don't even believe in Jesus. You know, like I don't, I'll read it maybe, but like I'm not going to read it so that can redefine my beliefs. But when you know who the author is, it helps you to trust what they say. Is that a correct statement? I mean, right? And so church history, church tradition tells us that the gospel, um, according to Mark, is written by a man named John Mark. If you look throughout Mark, you're not going to find that it says written by Mark. It's not autographed or signed at the end or anything like that. But church tradition tells us that it was a man named John Mark. And John Mark, although he wasn't a superstar of the Bible, he wasn't Jesus or Peter or Paul or some of those standout guys that you see. And maybe even some of you today, like you've never heard of John Mark. Um, You're like, wait, he has two names, two first names? Um, Yeah, so he was John Mark. And then they call him Mark because there's just a million Johns in that day. It's like you got John who wrote the Gospel of John. You have John the Baptist. I believe there was another brother um, named John as well. And so John Mark is how they identified him. He wasn't a superstar, but he was definitely a special person. And I just want you to note that tonight. And I think it will be helpful for us to know that Mark was not one of the first 12 disciples. Okay, I think when we kind of look at the Bible, especially if you don't know a whole lot, and I'm not saying that you guys don't, but like we say, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, those are the four Gospels, must have been written by four of the twelve disciples, right? Like that would make sense, but that's not true. Only Matthew and John were written by the, some of the first disciples. Luke and, and Mark, John Mark, they weren't part of the first twelve. And that's just an interesting thing to note. But here's the thing about John Mark is although he wasn't part of the first 12 there, he was discipled 
by one of the first 12. Uh, Peter says in 1 Peter chapter 5 that I look at John Mark as a son. And so Peter, one of the 12, he took Mark in as one of his own kids, his son, and he just discipled this guy. If you know about the Bible too, like it's a similar relationship with Paul and Timothy where Paul would write, it's like Timothy, my son, my son in the faith. It's like it's just someone that they took under their wings. They started to teach him everything that they know and start to um, get them out there, discipling them to make more disciples. And so John Mark was discipled by Peter and it's actually thought in church history and some people call the gospel according to Mark the gospel according to Peter. Because they're like, well, Peter's the one who taught Mark, and Mark's the one that wrote it down. So it's like, it's the gospel of Peter through Mark, almost, is what we could almost say. Another interesting fact, um, John Mark is the cousin of Barnabas. Barnabas was one of the guys with Paul on his first missionary journey, and so, I mean, we can unpack that on another day, but man, like, Barnabas was the son of encouragement. He was the one who'd come around like, let's go, guys, we got this. Like, you know, um, have you guys seen, I was telling Caleb this the other day, have you seen the other guys, the movie with Will Ferrell? And, um, I forget the other guy. But anyways, this guy's like kind of a nerd. He's at his desk. He has his computer and it's like nine in the morning, right? And his, his alarm goes off on the computer and, and it's like, doo -doo 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 -doo, and he's all, 915, everybody, let's have a great day. You know, and everybody's like, shut up, Mark, or whatever. But that's like, that's Barnabas, like, 915, guys, let's have a good day. Let's go make some disciples. It's going to be good. Like, he's just the encouraging type. We don't know exactly what he said, but I just, I picture him that way. He's just an upbeat type of dude. And so Mark was his cousin. John Mark was his cousin. And Scripture tells us that John Mark and Barnabas were with Paul on one of his first missionary journeys. And that's just interesting to note. Like, Paul is, comes after Jesus. Okay, Jesus ascended. Paul comes on the scene. Um, and he starts his missionary journey. He starts to tell all these people about Jesus and the good news. Um, and he's going all over the place. And so Barnabas comes along and John Mark is with them. But what I think many people don't know, and I even talked to my wife about this, I said, did you know this, that John Mark actually left Paul and Barnabas at one point? Like, he started on the missionary journey. He came out there to church plant, like, yeah, let's get it. Let's go, guys. Like, I'm all in. And then at some point, and we don't know why exactly, we can speculate, but John left the group. Acts chapter 13, if you want to go and read it for homework. Again, why he left, we don't know, but it says this, that he left them and he went back home to Jerusalem. Mark did. And again, while we don't know why, it was a bit of a controversy. And I just want you to understand this. You're like, why are you giving me so much history about this? It's because it will help you relate with his gospel and it will help you receive his gospel. When he's validating Jesus, you can trust him. Okay? And this is why, because later on, there's a controversy. Uh, Barnabas comes back. It's about three years later. Barnabas comes back to Paul and he's like, hey, like, let's bring John Mark back. And then Paul says, we're not bringing John Mark with us. He, it says, um, let me see if I wrote down, Paul thought best not to take with them one who had withdrawn from them and had not gone with them to the work. Like, that's what it says. And then it says right after that, there arose a sharp disagreement. Not like a little disagreement, like, hey, man, I don't know if you should come with us or not. It was like an absolutely not. You're not coming. That's how Paul was. That's how um, decisive he was about this. Because again, Mark left them in the middle of their mission. And so the argument was so intense that Paul left with Silas. All right? Before it was like Paul and Barnabas going everywhere. And then like Paul and Barnabas have this clash. They split and go ways. Paul goes with Silas. Barnabas 
goes with John Mark, and then they go different ways. But here's the thing. Again, John Mark left at one point. While we don't know why, I think it's interesting to think about. Like, why did he leave? He left for some reason, didn't he? Right? Maybe there's health reasons. I, I think that could be a good possibility. Maybe he had doubts. Like, hey, you know, I thought this whole Jesus thing was legit, and oh, my cousin is really into Jesus, Barnabas, and he's very encouraging, and he told me to come to church, and now, now I'm thinking like he's a little crazy. I don't know. Maybe he had doubts. Maybe he got a little scared. He's going on this missionary journey with Paul. Paul is like notorious for going to jail, going to prison, getting beat up and whipped. And now all of a sudden John's like, I'm going to go with Paul. And then it's all of a sudden he sees like the scars on Paul's back. And he's like, I don't know, man. I don't know if I want that. Maybe he was scared about the persecution that he might face. But maybe he fell into some kind of sin. Maybe he was on board. He's like, yeah, let's go tell people about Jesus. But then maybe he got tripped up in some kind of sin, some kind of moral failure to where he's like, I, I just can't do it. I can't keep living on in this way, living a lie. We don't know. But what we do know is that something happened in his life over those three years or so. From when he left, he went back home to Jerusalem. Maybe he thought it would be easy. He thought it would be comfortable. I'm just going to go back to my way of life. But, but I've, this is why I love this so much is because I was like that. I, I followed Jesus from a young age. Like I was in high school, freshman year, I gave my life to the Lord. At the end of high school, I was involved in drugs and partying. And then that just totally sucked me away. And while I didn't lose my faith, I didn't stop believing in Jesus, I would say this, that I don't know that I was saved because I definitely wasn't living a life for Jesus. And the Bible says, like, if, if you believe and you go on in sin, you shall not inherit the kingdom of heaven. And so what I, I find this so encouraging because I, I'm like Mark. Like, I was on board, I'm going for it, and then at some point I fell away. And again, we don't know why Mark fell away, but what we know is that at some point Jesus verified himself to him. Jesus got a hold of Mark, and he came back with so much fervency, fervor, whatever the right word is there, right? It's like he came back with so much passion that he actually wrote a gospel account for us to read here today. Like, that's pretty amazing. It's pretty amazing. So we could say Mark left the group with whatever reason why, but Jesus came back, or came, chased him down, verified himself to him, and Mark started to remember what was really important. He, 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 re, he realized life back at home, it, it's not fulfilling. For me, like I know when I left Jesus, I walked away, it's like the life in the world was not fulfilling. Like there's, that's the worst place to be when you know the truth and you're living a lie and you're just pulled between the two. It's like you can't enjoy either one. You got too much of the world to enjoy Jesus. You got too much of Jesus to enjoy the world and you're just miserable, stuck in between. And so I just feel like that's what Mark was like. Jesus is like, dude, you just need to come back. And he comes back and he writes the gospel account. Pretty amazing, really. Later in Scripture, it will tell us that, like, that John Mark did join uh, Paul again, so they reconcile at some point, who knows. Um, but in starting out tonight, I just want to say maybe you're a little bit like Mark. Maybe you're like Mark and maybe you're like me, where you started with a relationship with Jesus, maybe from a young age, maybe from high school, maybe just a couple years ago, but maybe you served in ministry, you were involved in church, you're telling people about Jesus. You're being a light in the world. But something happened to cause you to leave. Maybe someone hurt you. 
Maybe you fell into a sinful lifestyle. Maybe you were hurt by someone else's sin who said they were a Christian. You said that that these people said they were a Christian and I'm supposed to be able to go to church and find comfort and peace and safety. And these are the people who are actually praying against me. And maybe that happened and maybe you're just like, I don't want anything to do with it. Well, be encouraged tonight because I want to tell you that Jesus wants to reveal himself to you. He wants to verify himself to you showing you that he is who he claims to be. These words here in Scripture are not just someone's opinion about it. This is the Word of God. He is who he claims to be. He did what he said he'd do. And Jesus is calling you and I back into a relationship with him, back to a life on mission for him, living so that people may know him. Amen? Amen, right? So just as Mark came back to Jesus and his mission, you can come back to Jesus tonight if you've left him. Um, You're not too far gone. Jesus is still waiting for you. If you're alive and breathing today, there's still grace and mercy for us all. Um, So if you're alive, again, just choose Jesus, choose life and live so that people, more people may know Jesus through you. And I think it's just encouraging and reassuring to me the, the gospel account of Mark that if this is someone who left and came back, he's trying to tell us like the world it wasn't worth it. I, I tried it. Like, there's something about that, right? It's like, and I'm not trying to, to knock anybody, um, but like when there's somebody, like for me, struggling with drugs and alcohol in high school and college, it's like for me, when someone would try to get through to me and tell me something, it's like, if they never did drugs or alcohol, I'm like, you don't understand. Don't tell me about what I need to do or what I need to not do. Like, I knew that I shouldn't be doing it, but when you try and tell me when you haven't ever experienced it, it just isn't the same. But when you have someone who has actually been through the same thing as you, and they come and they say, hey, look, I know what it's like to be doing those things, and I know how empty and fleeting it is, that all of a sudden, that'll get my ear. Where I'm like, I want to hear what you got to say. I trust what you got to say because you've been through what I've been through. And I think it's just so encouraging with Mark where it's like we can look to him. It's like you left the the mission of Jesus. We don't know why, but you left and something happened and Jesus revealed himself to you and you came back. And so maybe if you're struggling tonight and you're looking for confidence, look to this person who, who left, who had doubts just like you and I. And may we find that Jesus is who he says he is, and Jesus is verified. So let's pray, and we'll dig into Mark chapter 1. Father, we thank you that we can come here, and we pray that you would be our teacher tonight. God, we ask that you would send your Holy Spirit to illuminate your Scripture, and that you would just just give us a deep, profound understanding. God, I pray that you would use me, and that you would just anoint my lips, God, and that my words would be your words. God, and that you would teach us, teach me, rebuke us if we are wrong, encourage us if we're doing good. God, may we leave here knowing more about you, being closer to you than when we came in. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So Mark chapter 1, we're going to go through the first 11 verses of Mark chapter 1, and it says this, The beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. The beginning of the gospel. And I love this. In the beginning, we just finished a series called that, but the beginning of the good news is what, is what Mark is saying here. The beginning of the good news, and he says the beginning of that news is Jesus. The beginning of the good news starts with Jesus. In, in the beginning, and the gospel here is very simple. I think many of us could tell people what the gospel is. Let's just wait for a second for this train. Have a shouting competition. Um, but it, 
we, we could probably tell people in short what the gospel is. Even non-believers could tell you, it's like, well, you know, you believe in Jesus, I guess, I suppose, right? I mean, if I was to go a little bit further than that, I would say you need to repent and believe in Jesus. If you wanted to get a little fancier than that, John three sixteen, for God so loved the world that he sent his only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. Like, that's the gospel. But what I would say is that the gospel, that's definitely surface level, and that's important, but the gospel is much deeper than that. There's so much more. And so I believe when he's saying this, it's like this is the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Like this is just the start, but there's so much more. See, the gospel is not only just repent and believe in Jesus. The gospel is about what Jesus did. The gospel is about who he is, what he fulfilled, what he is going to do. So the gospel is the good news. And so the good news is uh, the, about the life Jesus lived the things that he taught, the works that he did. And so Mark opens up his word with the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Such a packed statement, and I love it, because in the beginning, or in the beginning of the gospel, the good news of Jesus, and that word Jesus, the name Jesus in Hebrew is uh, Joshua. The name Jesus in Aramaic is Yeshua, Right, And then the word, that, that meaning is literally Jehovah is salvation. Jehovah, or God is salvation. That's what Jesus' name means there. And that's just amazing there. So he's saying the beginning of the good news that Jehovah is salvation. And then he says of Jesus Christ, right? Christ was not Jesus' last name. It wasn't uh, Mr. Christ, right? It's like, so we don't know what his last name was. They didn't really have those last names. They would have a surname um, before that, but, but so Jesus Christ. And so what Mark is saying is the good news that, that God is salvation. He says that he's the Christ, which means he's the Messiah. Christ is actually the translation from the Greek. Um, the Messiah would be from the Hebrew, but it's the same meaning and really just means Savior, the promised one coming to, to man. And then he says the Son of God. If you remember from one of our studies recently, how it says that his name will be Emmanuel, which means God with us. And that's quite literally what he's saying. The beginning of the good news of Jesus, right? Jehovah is salvation, the Messiah, the Savior of the world, the promised one. And he's saying the Son of God, God with us. That's a pretty packed statement in just one little verse. And I just love it because it just pumps me up because I'm like, yes, the good news, because this is what it's all about. But this is just the beginning, so just the beginning. So, and that's what I love. It says the beginning of it. It's so much deeper. There's 16 chapters of Mark. There's three other gospel accounts for us to read. There's 66 books in total in the Bible of us to read and just to get the story, the picture, the understanding of God, of Jesus. And it's just amazing. So he says in the beginning, or I keep saying that because I'm stuck on our last series, the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, verse 2, as it is written in Isaiah the prophet, behold, I send my messenger before your face who will, who will prepare your way, the voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his paths straight. And this is another couple packed verses, and I love it again. It's like, first off, Mark opens up his thing. Well, he says the beginning of the gospel, and then the beginning of his gospel, he throws it back to an OG from the OT, 
an original gangster from the Old Testament, Isaiah. Isaiah was a guy who wrote, when he wrote Isaiah, it was probably six to seven hundred years before Jesus came on the scene. All right, so just try to wrap your mind around that for a minute. He's throwing it back to some super ancient type of stuff, right? 600 years ago. Just to put it into perspective, the United States of America is, what, 244 years old? Right? Like, we're not, like, and we can't, I, I can't hardly comprehend that. 244 years, like, that's just 244 years of packed history, like, just so much stuff there. And so we're saying he's throwing it back 600, 700 years. It's pretty amazing. Pretty amazing. Throws it back to Isaiah. Isaiah is a man of God again, six, seven hundred years before that. He was a man who would prophesy, which means he would tell essentially of the future. Um, he would tell of these things. And again, this is one of his prophecies is that, behold, I'm going to send my messenger in the wilderness, one crying out in the desert, um, prepare the way for the Lord, make his path straight. That was what Isaiah wrote 700 years before this happened. And um, maybe something that's interesting to me is Isaiah actually prophesies of things that are written down in the book of Revelation. The book of Revelation and some of the things in Isaiah, they're they're pretty much the same thing that they're talking about. And that's like, that, that just blows my mind because Isaiah... 700 years before John wrote the book of Revelation, and they're, yet they're both prophesying of things that have not happened yet, like of the end times. It's just amazing. It's mind-blowing. But I'm, Isaiah was a prophet, um, and one of the things that he prophesied of most was the coming of the Messiah, the Christ. And what's incredible, again, is just, just the accuracy of what he has said and how it's fulfilled to a T hundreds of years later. Um, and so God would speak through Isaiah, and this is just a side note, a little side study, if you will, but what I note is that sometimes, um, and often many times, in our walk with the Lord, and I think we need to understand this, is that God wants to speak to you, He wants to speak through you, He wants to use you, but if you see in your life where you're like, but I don't see the fruit or the results that, that I thought I would, just think about Isaiah. God tells him to write something down that didn't happen till six seven hundred years later right of the messiah he might have been excited like oh man god really the messiah is coming oh seriously oh man this is exciting stuff writing it down i'm going to make sure i get it down for sure and we're going to preserve this stuff but maybe over in time isaiah realizes it's not happening right now but god keeps his promise and so just an encouragement to you is that if god's speaking to you if he's trying to use you he puts something on your heart and you're like i don't feel like i'm seeing any results i got to tell you you might not see any results and that's okay that's okay like some of the famous painters of these days it's like vincent van gogh like he wasn't famous until he died and everyone all of a sudden wanted all of his paintings right people just thought he was a crazy weird dude um it's just like you might not see what God was doing with your life here on this side of heaven, but you got to trust and believe in faith that God is using you. Another example is just Abraham, right? God promises him, says, I'm going to make your offspring as numerous as the sand of the sea, as numerous as the stars in the sky. And like Abraham, he lives his life. He has a couple of sons, but he doesn't see Israel come into existence. And that's what God was speaking of. It's just an interesting thing is that God will speak things to you and use you. And he's going to use you hundreds of years down the road maybe but just keep going 
But Mark quotes the Old Testament. What he's doing there is he's verifying Jesus through just Old Testament prophecy. He's saying this is the Messiah. This is the one the whole Bible has been talking about this whole time. And so he, um, so he uses that. Mark chapter 1, verse 2. All right, all right, I read these. But as it is written in Isaiah the prophet, Behold, I send my messenger before your face, who will prepare your way. The voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight. So God here, he's saying, he's talking about Isaiah's prophecy, but what he's saying is there's going to be a messenger who's going to come, who's going to prepare the way for the Messiah, for the Christ, for Jesus. All right, and we're going to get to that. And this man here is John the Baptist. We'll see this here in just another verse. But John the Baptist is the man crying in the wilderness, make straight the path of the Lord. He's crying out, repent from your sin. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. And so he's God's stirring up John the Baptist to be the messenger for him. And just like he stirred him up to prepare the way of the Lord, God is still stirring people up today. And I want to encourage you in that because he's stirring people up to make, make straight, make, make level, whatever you want to say, the path for the way of the Lord into people's hearts. Path, prepare the way of the Lord. John the Baptist was obedient to what God called him to do. He's probably a little crazy. People thought this dude's a little intense. We'll see why in a moment. But John the Baptist was obedient to it. And so maybe you think to yourself, it's like, well, how can I prepare the way of the Lord? Well, simply, right, by loving people. Jesus says the two commandments are this, is love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, strength, and mind. And the second is like it, love your neighbor as yourself. And on those two things, all the law is tied up in it. So how can you help prepare the way? Love people. Another way is you serve people by teaching them, by being a good example of people of, of what a real Christian follower of Jesus looks like. And so, so often, though, it's like what we actually do in life is we become a, a, uh, a roadblock for people to find the Lord. Imagine if John hadn't done what he did. It's like God stirred him up in a time when Jesus wasn't, he wasn't doing what, what we know of Scripture to tell him. Like Jesus hadn't started his ministry yet. So for John to go out preaching repentance in the middle of the wilderness in camel's hair, eating locusts, right? So just picture the scene. You would see that guy, you'd be like... We ain't going over there today. That dude's crazy, right? He's eating locusts and he's eating honey. Honey, good, okay, cool, but he's wearing camel's hair. That, and the little secret is that wasn't in back then, okay? It's like if you're like, well, that was 2,000 years ago. Probably everybody's wearing camel hair. No, nobody was wearing it except John the Baptist. Um, so he, he was that weird guy. Um, so let's just read verse 4. It says, John appeared baptizing in the wilderness and proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. And all the country of Judea and all Jerusalem were going out to him and were being baptized by him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. So it's a pretty big deal. All right, the next verse says, Now John was clothed with camel's hair, see, and wore a leather belt around his waist and ate locust and wild honey. Again, he's kind of weird. He's kind of interesting. But what I love about John the Baptist is that he's bold. He's brave. He had a call. God stirred up his heart to go out there and preach repentance in the wilderness and camel's hair. And I have a feeling that camel's hair wasn't God's thing. Like, hey, go get some camel's hair on real quick, uh, John, and then start preaching um, repentance. It's just, John was just an odd bird. He's just one of those weird guys. Like, you guys got friends like that? 
one of my best friends, he's that weird dude. Like he's always, he's like super manly, but like overly manly to where you're like, that's just super unnecessary. A good example, we go eat wings. How many of you guys like wings? Um, right. It's like, so I love them all. Like it doesn't matter, like drums, flats, boneless wings, but we'll get some, some regular wings, you know, some drums and flats. And so I'm the kind of guy, I eat most of the, everything on the bones, right? My friend, he, he cleans them clean as can be. Then he eats half of the bone and he sucks out the bone marrow. He's like, "Mm, that's good. And I'm like, that is ridiculous, dude. Okay. Like you're just trying to prove your manliness. If you, if that's what you're doing, you win. That's cool, man. I just want to eat my wings. Can you just not do that? That's weird. There's people around us, man. (laughs) So anyway, John the Baptist is kind of that weird guy where it's like, he doesn't care what people think. He's not afraid to say what he, he, he says. He's not ashamed of his style. He's just out there rocking it. And that's just, it's something to be commendable of, or commended, if you will. And so what John the Baptist is, he's preparing the way of the Lord. And again, what I was saying is like, make straight the path. So John, he's not afraid to tell people the truth. You need to repent of your sins. And he's telling them this because I think it's in Luke's account. He says that John the Baptist said, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. In other words, repent because God is coming to earth. You ever had someone over at your house, you're like your mom or your and dad are coming or your mother and father-in-law or just some friends. We had some friends with us this, this past weekend. And it's like when we know that they're coming over, all of a sudden like me and my wife, my wife more than me, but we go into a bit of a panic like, oh, we got to clean this and we got to clean that and we got to make sure there's nice sheets on the bed and we got to clean the guest bathroom, all that stuff. Like, you know what I'm saying? Anyone ever been there? Right, some of you are like, yep, I know. And, and husbands were like, yep, I know. My wife gets a little riled up. Um, no, but, but it's like that. John the Baptist is like, Jesus, God Almighty, is coming to earth. If, he, if he's holy, set apart, knows everything about you, he's like, you need to get it together. You need to repent because he's coming. And let me tell you something. You don't want to be caught in your sins, all, all filthy and unrighteous without God when he comes. And so that's what John's saying. Clean yourselves up, guys. God's coming to earth. God, you know, remember when he left in Genesis chapter 3? He's coming back. The, the word will become flesh. And so John's preaching, repent. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. And again, if you know God is coming, man, what a fearful thought. Like, I don't think we even understand it sometimes. Like, we just, like, what, fearful, why? God is love. It's like, yeah, he's love, but man, he just, he's, he's going to be so intense. Stand before your maker. Like, it's hard enough sometimes standing before your boss at work. You know what I'm talking about? Like, if you're scared to talk to your boss at work, like, God is going to be a million times harder to talk to. Or we're just going to tremble. We're going to, Scripture says, every knee will bow uh, and every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord. Like, we're just going to fall flat on our face when we see him one day. And there's nothing we're going to say other than, Jesus, your Lord. It's going to be like pure worship like we've never seen or felt before because we're just going to be awestruck. And so John's making clear the path. He's not afraid of what people think, and so I think that could be taken for us tonight. It's just like don't be concerned with what people think. Don't try to fit into the world's um, culture. God's called you to be you. He's given you gifts and talents and personalities. If you're weird, who cares? Be weird to the glory of God. It's like you're going to be effective. And that's the thing. John was bold. He was brave. He was weird. But it worked. 
people were coming to the, the water being baptized by this crazy fool. Like, you know, that's what blows my mind. It's like God will use it because, here's the thing, because he was obedient. He was faithful. Jesus says he was faithful with little will be entrusted with much. And so John's like, all right, I'm going to preach this, this message, repent, kingdom of heaven's at hand. And, you know, maybe the first day one person gets baptized, not a big deal. He's like, oh, praise the Lord. Next day, a few more come. The next day, and Scripture says that the Pharisees and religious leaders came and like, what is this baptism that you're talking about? And he says, you brood of vipers. Why are you coming here? Who told you to be baptized? That's what John says. It's just crazy. But like, it just gets so intense. But he's making, he's making the, the pathway clear for, those, for people to know the Lord. And are we doing that? Are we making the, the path clear for people? Or are we making it a little more unclear? Are we, are we a roadblock where they're like, you know, I hear that God is love and that He's forgiving and that all these things, but I'm looking at your life and I don't really, I see a, a contradiction. You say that you're a new person and that you're born again, but I feel like you're still the same you. Are we making the path clear? John says, repent again, be cleansed of your sins. First John, this is not John the Baptist, but this is one of the disciples who wrote it. He says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So you might think to yourself, why do I need to repent? It's because you need to be cleaned. You need to, you need to take on Jesus' righteousness. Right now, you don't have righteousness of your own. Right now, as we stand before God, it's, we're just filthy rags. Scripture says, your best deeds are just filthy rags. God's like, yeah, it's a nice try, but it's not that great. You know, it's like, but if we can just repent of our sins, Jesus will cleanse us of our sins. And, and John the Baptist, essentially, is just like, that's what you need. You need to be cleansed because God is coming. And, and may I tell you, God is coming again. Jesus is coming back. Verse 5, I think I already read it, but in all the country of Judea and all Jerusalem were going out to, to him and were being baptized by him. So see, again, he's a little crazy, a little odd, but he's bold, he's brave, he's obedient, he's faithful. And now all of a sudden, all these people from Judea and Jerusalem were going out to be baptized by him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. Verse 6, now John was clothed with camel's hair and wore a leather belt around his waist and ate locusts and wild honey. Verse 7, and he preached saying, after me comes he who is mightier than I, the strap of whose sandals I am not worthy to stoop down and untie. I have baptized you with water. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. And I love this. This is just so powerful. And I hope that you would get this tonight. I hope that you have a moment like I did when I'm studying for this. He says, he who comes after me is mightier than I. See, John was baptizing people. He was out there. He was bold. He was brave. He was preaching it, man. Like he was getting it. People were like, come on, John. That's what I'm talking about. Let's go. You know, and it's like getting all pumped up. But then the question would come. It's like, John, are you, something's different about you. Like, are you the Messiah? Are you, are you the Christ? And then the rumors would start to spread. It's like, I think John the Baptist, the dude baptizing people, telling them to confess their sins, I think that might be the Christ. But then in one of the accounts, I, I wrote it down somewhere in my notes, one of the other Gospels, it's, it says that, I think it's in Luke's Gospel, chapter 3, 
And he says, people came up to you saying, is John, like, John, are you the Christ? And he says, no. He says, just like he says here, he who comes after me is mightier than I. He who comes after me is mightier than I. In John's gospel, he says, behold, as Jesus is coming towards him one day, he says, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. It's like, y'all think that I'm the Christ? No, look at that dude. That's him. That's him. And I just love his honesty. He's like, no, it's not me. Anything good that came from me was not me, guys. It was the Lord prompting me. It was the Lord being faithful, providing things. The Lord drawing you guys down here to get baptized kind of thing. And he says, he who comes after me is mightier than I. Jesus. And John was quick to put any questions to rest. Like, any, any confusion? No, I'm not it. And it gives us a glimpse of the reverence that John had for Jesus. Just, just think about that. The verse, he says, verse 7, After me comes he who is mightier than I. Check this out. The strap of whose sandal I am not worthy to stoop down and untie. Why is that so powerful? Why is that so meaningful, you might ask? Well, in that day, untying someone's shoe and washing their feet is what would happen after they untie their shoe. That was the job of a slave. That was the job of a slave. So it was like the lowest of low job where it's like, hey, like that, that's the worst thing to have as a job right there. And so John, what he's saying, he's, he's like, the one who comes after me is mightier than me. And he's like, and I'm not even worthy to be his slave. That's how, that's how worthy, uh, awesome he sees God, Jesus, as. He's like, he is so much better than me, guys. I'm not even worthy to be his slave. I'm not worthy to untie his shoe a little bit. Like, I am beneath the ones that are at the lowest. I'm the lowest of lows. Paul even says a similar thing. He says that I am the chief of sinners. Like, it's like, when they start to see who God is, when you and I start to understand who God is, how holy set a party is, all of a sudden you're like, I'm the worst of the worst. And it's not to start to throw a pity party and like, man, I suck, I can't do anything. It's to be like, I'm the worst of the worst. I don't deserve anything at all. Yet John would say, he's mightier than I. He's coming after me. I'm not worthy to untie his sandals. Yet he called me. Yet he's using me. That's the thing there. It's like John would be like, I'm not worthy to untie his sandals, but man, God is so good, so gracious, so merciful that he's allowed me a part in this redemptive work. Man, do you have reverence for Jesus like that? When's the last time that you looked at Jesus and you looked at yourself and you just thought, man, I'm just so unworthy? For me, I feel like it's just every week when I got a message, I'm like, I got to preach. And I'm like, God, I am unworthy to even read your Bible to anybody. But believe it or not, I believe that, that it's actually a healthy thing to see that contrast. I'm so unworthy, but Jesus, you're so worthy. Because that, that contrast should leave us in awe of God. In awestruck worship, just glorifying God who loves us, forgives us. He's gracious to us. He's merciful. He allows us to be a part of His ministry. See, we should be serving like John out of just a place of just awestruck worship where he's out there, he's preaching it, and he's like, I'm not worthy. I'm not good. But He is. 
I, I suck. I've blown it. But Jesus is coming and he's going to take away all of our sins, guys. So repent because he's coming soon. He says, I, I, I'm not worthy to do the littlest of tasks. Yet Jesus says later on, he says that John the Baptist is the greatest of all the prophets. Isn't that amazing? John's like, I suck. Jesus is like, you're pretty good. <laughs> but you should, you should allow Jesus to be the one to determine that. Right? Too many times in life we, th- we think we deserve a position in ministry or whatever. It's like I, we deserve to have responsibilities. But John's saying, I don't even deserve to untie his sandals. And we see at the same time, God gives him such a great work to be a part of. So when we see ourselves as unworthy and we see God as worthy, holy, set apart, it should just leave us in that awestruck worship. And even more so that God chose you to be a part of anything. Like, God, me? For real? Right? Ministry is a blessing. And ministry, I'll say this, I think ministry is what we are all called to be a part of, whether that means like serving at a church or just ministering to people outside at your work. You know, ministry can look like that, where it's like you might not work at a church, but you might, like for me, I work at FedEx, all right? I deliver packages all day long, five days a week and stuff. It's like, but part of me ministering to people there is just, hey, how are you doing, man? You doing all right? Just trying to be a light in the world. It's like you can minister to people where you're at, and when you start to love them and serve them, there's going to be times in life where they're going to have some kind of hardship, trial. They're going to go through the loss of a family member, and they're going to come to you and be like, dude, I just need someone to pray for me. And that's what God would call you to be a part of. Ministry is a blessing from God. But understand, ministry is an opportunity from God. Ministry is not a burden. It's not a, I have to, ah, God, you, you saved me and died for my sins, so I guess I have to serve you now. No, it's not that. It's a, I I get to. Because you died for my sins, Lord, like I get to participate in the redemptive work of humanity. How crazy is that? It's not something also that you're entitled to. Is like, well, I deserve to be in ministry. I deserve to teach in the pulpit. I deserve to be able to lead these things and make different decisions. Ministry is not that either. Ministry is a God-given opportunity where it's, we get to. We are so unworthy. He is so holy and set apart. Yet he allows us to serve. It's an honor to serve the Lord. Amen? Mark chapter 1, verse 8 now. He says, In those days Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. Now another account of the gospel gives us more information. And John's like, no, I'm not baptizing you, Jesus. That's crazy, man. You're God. You know what I mean? But then Jesus is like, no, but it's necessary to fulfill all righteousness. See, Jesus won't call you to do something that he hasn't already done himself. He's not going to ask you to be baptized if he wasn't baptized himself. It's like he sets the perfect example to, the, to perfection. He's not like, ah, I, I'm going to set him a good example, but I'm God. I don't need to get baptized. <laughs> Jesus does it anyways. Because he wants, us, wants to show us the way. He is the way, the truth, and the life. Part of that is be baptized. So he says, um, verse 
verse 9, actually that's what it was, is, In those days Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee, was baptized by John in the Jordan. Verse 10, And when he came up out of the water, immediately he saw the heavens being torn open and the Spirit descending on him like a dove. This is part of what you'll see in Mark's Gospel is he uses the word immediately or, or soon after, like things, like it's just snappy. Like, it's, again, it's a condensed, like, Cliff Notes version. But he's like, he got baptized, and immediately as Jesus comes up out of the water, he saw the heavens being torn open, and the Spirit, that's the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of God, descending on him like a dove. So the Spirit's coming down. It's like this evident, awesome, epic moment, right? And then after that, it says, verse 11, And a voice came from heaven, You are my beloved Son, with you I am well pleased. With you, I'm well pleased. So what we have there is we have the Spirit and the Father testifying or verifying that Jesus is the Messiah. In that, in that moment, we have the Trinity, the, the Father speaking, the, the Son, Jesus, getting baptized, right? And we have the Holy Spirit descending, coming down upon Him. Pretty amazing. And so we, we have that. And what he says too, or what we see, is actually a picture of what John said in, in verse 8. He says, I baptized you with water, but he's going to baptize you with the Holy Spirit. It's like Jesus is baptized in the water, comes up out of the water, and the Holy Spirit descends. It's just a pretty amazing picture. Pretty amazing picture. But here's what you guys need to know today. I'm going to wrap up here soon. But Jesus verified. The Old Testament... It speaks of Jesus. The Old Testament verifies that Jesus is who he says he is. Like there's things, we talked about it last week, Psalm 22, just an amazing psalm. If you missed last week, just go home and read Psalm 22 and then look at the gospel account of Jesus' death on a cross. It's just amazing. It's like it's just almost, it's word for word. Almost. It's just amazing. The Old Testament verifies Jesus. And so Mark starts with a verification from the Old Testament, Isaiah chapter 40, right? And then we have right after that, John the Baptist. He identifies Jesus, that this is the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. He's like, he's the one who's mightier than I, his sandal strap. I'm not, I'm, I'm not worthy to untie. And then we have the Holy Spirit and the Father verifying Jesus. The Holy Spirit descending on Jesus, the Father speaking of Jesus, this, this is my Son. In other words, he's saying this is the promised one. This is the Son of God, or, or as um, some, some people would say, the Son of Man, right? He was born of man, but he was born of God as well. And it's like he came to take man's sin. The Father's like, this is what you've been waiting for. Jesus is the promised one. And now I want to close tonight if you'll flip with me to Isaiah chapter 40, and we're actually going to end with, with um, what Mark quotes. The, the verses will be on the screen, so if you don't have your Bible, but I'd, I'd encourage you just to follow along. But Isaiah chapter 40, we're going to read through it all, and then we'll pray at the end of it, and, and we'll end service here. But verse 1 of Isaiah 40, Comfort. Comfort my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and cry to her that her warfare is ended, that her iniquity is pardoned. What he's saying there is just like tell, like 
The coming Messiah is coming to put an end to the warfare, to bring peace, and that your sins have been covered, iniquity pardoned. Right? He says that she has received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. Verse 3, a voice cries in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. And this is John the Baptist here, right? It's the prophecy of John the Baptist. Verse 4, every valley shall be lifted up and every mountain, hill, mountain and hill be made low. That uneven, the uneven ground shall become level and the rough places a plain. Verse 5, and the glory of the Lord shall be revealed. And all flesh shall see it together, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. In which that part right there just kind of leads me to believe that that might be part of Jesus' baptism. They're saying like, hey, everybody's going to see that the glory of the Lord is upon this guy. And the mouth of the Lord has spoken that this is my beloved son and him I'm well pleased. It's just interesting. Verse 6, a voice says, cry. And I said, what shall I cry? All flesh is grass, and all its beauty is like the flower of the field. The grass withers, the flower fades, when the breath of the Lord blows on it. Surely the people are grass. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of the Lord will stand forever. Check this out. Go up on a high mountain, O Zion, herald of good news. Isn't that just interesting? Herald of good news, like that's bringer of good news. What does the gospel mean again? Good news. And so it's like Isaiah 40 is like prophesying of the coming Messiah who's going to end warfare, pardon iniquity. There's going to be John the Baptist coming forth. And then he says again, verse 9, go up on a high mountain, herald of good news. Lift up your voice with strength. What he's saying is let the world know that the Savior's here. Let them know that Jesus has come. The next verse says, oh, Jerusalem. Herald of good news, lift it up, fear not. Don't be afraid. Like I love again, I love John the Baptist, just a crazy weirdo, not afraid. <laughs> he says, Lift it up, fear not, say, say to the cities of Judah, Behold your God. Again, Jesus, his name is, is God, is salvation. It says that he'd be called Emmanuel, God with us. Verse 10 says, Behold, the Lord God comes with might and his arm rules for him. Behold, his reward, I love this, is with him. Some of you think like, well, what does it matter? What does it reward me to follow God? Well, you'll be with him and that's worth it. He says, his reward is with him and his recompense before him. He will tend his flock like a shepherd. He will gather the lambs in his arms. He will carry them in his bosom and gently lead those that are with young. Verse 12, who has measured the waters in the hollow of his hand and marked off the heavens with a span and closed the dust of the earth in a measure and weighed the mountains and scales and the hills in a balance. Just get a picture there. If you had a scale and you're putting the mountains and the hills in a scale, like that's just pretty crazy. But that's what God could do because that's how big he is, is what he's saying. He says, verse 13, who has measured the spirit of the Lord or what man has shown him his counsel? Whom did he consult? Who made him understand? Who taught him the path of justice and taught him knowledge and showed him the way of understanding? Behold, the nations are like a drop from a bucket and, all, and are accounted as the dust on the scales. Behold, he takes up the coastlands like fine dust. Lebanon would not suffice for fuel, nor its beasts enough for a burnt off offering. All the nations are as nothing before him. They're accounted by him as less than nothing. 
and emptiness. How do you get less than nothing? This is, again, this is just how far set apart God is. He says, to whom then will you liken God, or what likeness compare with him? An idol? A craftsman casts it, a goldsmith overlays it with gold and casts for its silver chains. He is too impoverished for an offering, or he who is too impoverished for an offering chooses wood that will not rot. He seeks out a skillful craftsman to set up an idol that will not move. Do you not know? Do you not hear? Has it not been told you from the beginning? Have you not understood from the foundations of the earth? It is he who sits above the circle of the earth. And its inhabitants are like grasshoppers who stretches out the heavens like a curtain and spreads them like a tent to dwell in, who brings princes to nothing and makes the rulers of the earth as emptiness. Scarcely are they planted, scarcely sown, scarcely has their stem taken root in the earth when he blows on them and they wither and the tempest carries them off like stubble. Check it out, verse 25. To whom then will you compare me that I should be like him, says the Holy One. Lift up your eyes on high and see who created these things. Answers Jesus. He who brings out their host by number, calling them all by name, by greatness of his might, and because he is strong in power, not one is missing. Why do you say, O Jacob, and speak, O Israel, my way is hidden from the Lord and my right is disregarded by my God? Have you not known, have you not heard, the Lord is the everlasting God? the creator of the ends of the earth. He does not faint or grow weary. His understanding is unsearchable. He gives power to the faint, and to him who has no might, he increases strength. Even youths shall faint and be weary, and young men shall fall exhausted, but they who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. Why I read all that to you is, is I want to strike in you a sense of reverence for the Lord. I want you to understand when Mark's throwing it back to Isaiah chapter 40, he's not only just quoting Isaiah 40, he's saying, go back and read it for yourself. He's saying, go back and read Isaiah 40 because he's like, it's all about Jesus. That, that Jesus is the everlasting God. He's the creator of the ends of the earth. He doesn't faint or grow weary. If you are weary today, Jesus says, Matthew 11, like, come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I'll give you rest. I'll give you rest. Isaiah 40 is all about the Lord. This is the Lord our God. He's the promised one that Mark is talking about in, in chapter 1 and all throughout his gospel. This is the promised one. He's come. Scripture says that he's coming again for us, you and me. He's verified. And if his passwords have been verified, if he fulfilled his first coming, I want to tell you with assurance he's going to come again. He's going to fulfill his future promises too. And that's not just his second coming. That's also the book of Revelation where we start to see the seven years of tribulation. These things are going to be fulfilled. Right now, we have the opportunity to repent and confess our sins to the Lord and become clean. But tomorrow, we don't even know if we'll have tomorrow. But I want to tell you that Jesus is real. Jesus is holy. And Jesus is just verified over and over again throughout Scripture. 
Like it's too perfect. Like just the prophecy. And so I just hope that this week that you'd be left in awe as you go about your week Monday through next Sunday. Just sit and think about it. Ask God to reveal something to you maybe. Dive into scripture a little bit more. Take a little bit slower approach to Isaiah chapter 40. Maybe even check out some of the other prophecies about Jesus. But just take some time to sit before the Lord and just, man, God, you're so good. Amen? We stand with me and let's pray. Father, we thank you for this night and we thank you for your word. We thank you that you've preserved your word generation after generation, that we may read it and study it here at the Fervent Church tonight and other churches across the globe, Lord. We pray that you would bring people to repentance in your name. God, that we would see that you are the only way, the only truth, the only life. You're not a myth. You're not a legend, Lord. You are the true and living God. And God, just give us a reverence for you this week. Help us to just see ourselves as just who we are, unworthy sinners. But help us to see you, God, as just so holy, set apart, lifted up. And may we just just sit and praise you. God, we thank you for this time and we give you glory for us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.